Well, hello and welcome to episode 65 of the 1099 for the week of October 31st, 2016. Halloween. I didn't realize I was planning it that way. I'm your host, Josiah Renaudin, and with me today is the developer behind games like Home and Alone with You, Benjamin Rivers. Ben, how are you doing today? I am excellent. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And now this whole Halloween theme is like way better because I just worked on a horror game and you've worked on a horror game. So really, this makes way too much sense for us to actually talk. At this point, you might be best known for your games, the ones I was mentioning earlier, but you self-published just this medley of graphic novels when I was looking into what you've done. So how did that start and what was that self-publishing process like? Sure. Well, all of this sort of comes in because of where I live, which is uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And there's a huge self-publishing, publishing art scenes, you know, all that kind of stuff happens here. Um, and I've just been doing comics in one form or another since I was a kid. And I just always wanted to make something. And I always liked sort of all comics and indie comics. And uh, and the kinds of things I was interested in writing was always just these like silly, melodramatic, like really dark drama stories and things like that, uh, which is something that is maybe a little bit harder to get published. Um especially when nobody knows who you are. But you know, I've been going to uh, comic conventions for, uh, I think by the time I stopped going regularly, it was about 12, 13 straight years. Oh, wow. Um, just going with friends to push our indie comics. It's like anyone else does, just like these kind of crappy comics we made and that were you know, a lot of fun. Uh, and just sort of doing it after meeting a few more people. And then just, um, I had this story in my head from a long time ago. Uh, just, kind of a terrible melodramatic sappy love story that was really silly that I wrote in high school and then what I ended up doing was sort of wrapping it with this other uh, concept that had sort of been in my head which is a lot darker and is about um, nursing homes and things like that it was just like really <laughs> it's two things you don't ever expect like good old love stories set in a nursing home but uh, those two things sort of just seemed to make sense together. And I wrote this uh, comic called Empty Words, um, which is sort of my first self-publishing, like, you know, first time making a long-form uh, long form effort. And it was something I sort of done online uh, as a webcomic because it was back when those were a bit more popular uh, and as an excuse to try to force myself to get it done. And eventually I had enough to do a full book. So I went to shows and sort of sold each issue and that sort of happened and I kind of got addicted to doing that. So at some point I wanted to do the next one, um, which was snow. So that's the comic I'm most known for. Uh, and that was also done sort of issue by issue. So I could go to shows, you know, sell them at the table and talk to people. Uh, but then eventually I got a grant out of the States to do a, um, like a properly printed, nice uh, graphic novel edition. So I did that. And then we ended up making a movie out of it. And then there was like a little video game that I made out of it sort of as a learning experience. Uh, so it ended up being a lot bigger than than I think I initially outlined. I mean, you mentioned Snow and you mentioned that there was this kind of game that came out afterward. At one point, had you imagined a future where you'd create franchises that worked both as games and as graphic novels? I mean, you think about like Ubisoft is always like, oh, there's the Assassin's Creed game and now here comes the movie. And they kind of have this like big media plan for it in your mind kind of at a smaller scale do you think you could kind of keep up both simultaneously where maybe you would make a graphic novel and a game would come out of it or you'd make a game that'd be successful and a graphic novel would come out of it you know it's funny because when i was a kid i would you know the things that i was into like in the 80s when i was into ninja turtles or things like that or comic books that my brother gave me um you generally only got to see things in one format or another but that started to change as you would get you know toys of a a cartoon or, or whatnot and i always found it really interesting to 
see properties in other mediums. I don't know why it was. It was always really interesting. Like I would always love to want to play the crappy movie games that were on NES just because I wanted <laughs> to know like what like you know, what does it look like if you have total recall on your Nintendo? Turns out it's terrible. Uh <laughs> but you know, Batman was amazing. So there's there was always hope there's something. But I always found that neat. Or when you would find a comic book version of a movie or you know, I remember reading um the uh, like movie adaptations of films like Ghostbusters 2 before they came out just because I was like, wait, there's a book about this? Well, I got to see what that's like. So, I mean, you call it a franchise and I think it's funny because it's kind of like my comic that nobody really knows about and the game that even fewer people have played. Uh, but to me, it's super cool to have something that is pliable in those different medium, uh, mediums and there's actually something I'm uh, always interested in pursuing with, especially now that I'm mostly focused on games. Uh, because I just think it's fun to take stuff that you've already invested all this time and effort in and to see what it's like to put it, you know, on paper mm -hmm. or as, as in a case of snow is making a movie, which is insane. <laughs> uh, you mentioned now that you are mostly on games. It's, that's kind of your main focus. And I think whenever you get into something you really like to do, there's those early times where you have some stuff you were proud of, but there's very often this kind of seminal moment or maybe this seminal for me a writing piece or for you a game where you're like oh man like i've made it like now i'm really doing this i mean you had snow you had the ascent drunken rampage missing do you see home as your first real like here i am you should probably take me seriously now game to a certain extent yeah absolutely i mean you know i always liken um making games and doing things to like putting out albums and being in a bed. And so home was sort of like the first EP, the one that got released, the one that, you know, people saved up money for and got a proper recording made of so they could bring shows and actually sell it to people. Everything that came before was sort of like garage demos and <laughs> trying to figure certain things out and jam games and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it was definitely the one that like thankfully found a, uh, connect with people the way I was hoping to. It was, and it was sort of a culmination of the things I had learned up to that point where I thought, okay, I have just enough knowledge, technical acumen, whatever to make a thing that I think needs to be out there. It's the game I, one of those games I want to play. And thankfully that, that did work out in the end. What do you think actually about the game itself made people connect with it? Why do you think this is the one besides the fact that you kind of, started to hit your stride technically and maybe you knew like writing wise art wise you were kind of just hitting your stride but what about the actual game do you think made people really take notice i think the idea was that you know at that point horror games especially were so specific uh the kinds of experience you can get in a horror were very limited i mean mm -hmm. i think they still are in many ways yeah um but a lot of it was mostly the big games. You know, there wasn't as much uh, like there, you know, you can go on Steam now and find a whole bunch of pretty impressive horror based titles, whether they're uh, like extreme crap your pants, kind of scary horror, whether they're a bit more cerebral, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but at the time when I was working at home, it, it was mostly like, well, I really love Silent Hill. I really like Resident Evil. And I like a few of these other things that have come out. But it was hard to find something that catered to the other interests I had, which was more adventure style gameplay and more exploration and narrative and whatnot. And those weren't uh, available as much. So I think people, based on the press I, I remember getting and kind of hearing what people said in the lead up to launch, um, people were interested in something that was set in a horror style of gameplay, but wasn't a survival horror game for example. Hmm. And was it about, you know, shooting guns and monsters, that kind of thing, and just had a slightly different 
uh, twist. And the fact that it was narrative-based um, made it, I mean, I designed it so that anyone could play it, so that it wouldn't be, you wouldn't have to have like the most insane, you know, twitch skills to be able to get through this, but rather to uh, something that you could pick up more like a book, really get wrapped up in. And then if you have an overactive imagination like I do, you would just sort of start filling in these blanks and start thinking way too much about it. And I really thought that there must be at least, you know, at least 10 more people other than me who, who <laughs> look for games like that. So let's see how many... Let's see how many of those people we can we can get to play this. It seemed like a lot more than ten. Like I, I do think you're right. There, there's something fascinating about kind of bending what a horror game can be because a lot of the major stuff, uh, even if Condemned in Fear, I think were really great, and interesting games. They kind of follow a very similar style of horror, like this kind of unrelentingly dark. This you know, there's a lot of things that make you sometimes don't even want to be in that world because you're so afraid of it. And I think there's fun ways yeah. to play with the tropes that come along with horror that uh, it doesn't have to be scary the entire time. Maybe it can have kind of this horror setup, but just be bizarre and weird instead where you want to be in that world. Maybe it's not something you inherently want to stay in for long periods of time, but you want to explore it. You want to see what's there. And I think kind of grabbing people with the story makes them want to stay instead of constantly pushing them out of that. I mean, what? how would you define your horror game philosophy? I mean, home is definitely different from your standard jump scare affair like we mentioned. And that pixelated 2D approach has to be difficult to make something that's really scary, something that actually freaks people out. I mean, what was your goal going in with the game? How did you kind of navigate through that interesting setup? Sure. Well, the, I mean, the design doc for the game was very specific, which was, I want to see if I can prove a point uh, or prove a theory that you can get people to get really invested narratively and emotionally in a game with a minimum amount of design required. Mm -hmm. So it was, for me, it was like a graphic design exercise about the, I have certain constraints about resolution, about color palette, about uh, technical um, uh, forte and all that. And the game has to work within these uh, restrictions and, and make something. So using sound, using color, uh, using all the things that I know through design um, regarding sort of wayfinding and navigation and giving people, uh, letting people assume things and then sort of circumventing some of those assumptions. And of course, just writing, which is something I like doing because of comics, uh, saying, okay, I think this is a tool set that you can make something really unique out of because it looks like most other games are relying on slightly different things. So for me, you know, I sometimes people will give me uh, slack over um, or flack rather over home because they'll say, well, it's not really a horror game. Like, you know, I don't crap my pants in, in abject fear playing it. But I've had people send me angry emails on the flip side of that saying that they thought my game was going to aggravate their heart condition and that there should have been a warning. <laughs> and I was like a complete jerk for making this game. So uh, you never really know. Which, you know, which of these is true. So for me, it's all about the creeping dread. Again, as someone who likes to read, as someone who just likes uh, stories that linger with them for years, you know, like Silent Hill and Silent Hill 2, especially were, were, were games that came out like I still think about almost every day. Or movies that like Jacob's Ladder that just unsettled me so much that, you know, I wouldn't be able to sleep for days and that would would sort of pop up in my nightmares even years later as it, as it often does. I wanted to make something more like that where someone would think about a concept, it would get under their skin, uh, and then hopefully they would find something in real life that would remind them of that concept and they just start thinking about it again, which is what I tried to do with, you know, sort of the setup of keeping the game fairly realistic and whatnot. Yeah, I... I think looking at horror games that way is fascinating. I agree. There's there's something weird about this when someone starts a game that is pitched as a horror game 
they expect to be scared constantly. They expect like the craziest thing where, um, not to keep promoting here, they lie. I hate to do that in my own podcast, but like when <laughs> I was talking to those developers, like the, the team I work with, it was, you know, that dread, that Jacob's ladder you're talking about, that's kind of their inspiration for a lot of that stuff that kind of creeps yeah. in and stays with you instead of just the, there's going to be a jump scare. And there are a couple of jump scares. And it was just, it's so bizarre watching people play that game because they go in like in a stream thinking like, okay, I'm going to like have to creep over every corner and worry about something grabbing me. And like early on, there's definitely hints of that and there's certain jump scares, but that's not what that game is. Like there's this bizarre, surreal nature yeah. to it that as you're playing it, instead of going like, oh my God, you're like, oh my God, like, what is this? And I think that is an interesting yeah. thing to see. Like, that's kind of what fascinates me more. And for you, how important is pacing in a horror game? You have the idea of a graphic novel in your head, so you're used to a different level of pacing than a game where sometimes you got to just present the player with something before they get bored. So because you like to make narrative-based games and story building is critical, is there a timer in your head where you have to push something scary out there before people start just saying like, oh, I, I don't get this. I'm going to get off of it now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's obviously one of the toughest parts, especially from transitioning. And I hope, you know, I, I hope that I always do it well when I make games because a lot of people I think who come from uh, more of a linear uh, medium forget that the interactivity does throw several wrenches into what you're trying to do. Hmm. But, you know, for example, with, uh, with home, there's a very specific setup, especially to the first three areas. So you go from the house that you start into these tunnels to some sewers, and then you get to above ground. And the way the game is designed is that you're always meant to be going down one level. So you get to the lowest part and the music or sorry, not the music because there is none, uh, but the ambience <laughs> and the sound effects and all that stuff are meant to get more and more oppressive from stage one to stage three. And then there's meant to be a release when you come out to stage four, which is the, the sort of the first time you get to be above ground again uh, so that you immediately feel it and you get rewarded for having been put through that scenario of being in this like awful close dark place where things are sort of the most creepy or the there are the setups for things that seem like the most the most messed up there's like a lot more violence implied and things like that and knowing that i wanted the game to be fairly short like i didn't want people to the story had to be short so that it could be told multiple times so that the amount of things to get that i had to keep track of would be manageable but also so that people wouldn't forget everything that they'd gone through uh, because it was such a specific story that you had to kind of keep in your head, mm. um, knowing how much info you could probably keep in your head over one play session or, or a few, I had to make sure that no stage was too long because even if I held your hand a little bit, uh, what might be considered a little bit too much in some areas to sort of point you to where you had to go, uh, in testing and stuff, I just realized that you could tell where people would get fatigued pretty easily. And actually the place where people get fatigued in the game is still the third area. Uh, I think, I don't know, maybe I could have done it better, but I kind of wanted you to get fatigued at that point because mm -hmm. that's the part where you're supposed to just be just like just begging for fresh air uh, and then you get that at the end of it. Um, but that's also one of the areas that gives you the most opportunity to backtrack to get some secrets and to do some, uh, to find some other things because I wanted to make it a really uncomfortable choice to whether you want to explore more and find things or whether you just wanted to get out of there. And I didn't want that to feel like a gameplay trope where someone would say, well, this is stupid. Like you have to go back to get secrets, which some people would anyway, but I wanted it to more, uh, uh, elicit an emotional reaction where some people would say, I really want to go back, but I just had to get out of there, which is sort of keeping in line with the narrative. So all that 
play with because the, obviously the player is going to have their own intentions and, and whatnot, and you and you'll never get everybody sort of paced perfectly and 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 whatnot. But I think you can play within certain ranges in regards to sort of uh, area um, area size, where you put breaks in, where you give clues, where you at least give little nuggets of a new wrinkle to find. So now you're thinking about something. So your brain is engaged while you're exploring a slightly larger, you know, uh, level, mm. all those things I just try to keep in mind. Um, and I have a, a good designer friend who always tells me one great golden rule, which is it should never take you more than 30 seconds to get from the thing you just found that does the new thing you get to do to that, to that thing again, yep. you shouldn't have to wander too far. Uh, so I keep a bunch of those sort of great rules of thumb in mind and, uh, to keep people contained. Can it be exhausting developing a horror game? Like you're making something that might not be inherently fun and can be uh, unsettling, can like kind of burrow into your head. That's the kind of mind state you want to put the player in. So to do that, you kind of have to put yourself in that while you're developing. And I know talking to Corey Davis, the person I work for, like he said, like it's you know horror games aren't inherently more demanding in terms of what you need to put in time wise or work wise. It's the same amount of crunch, but there's this it kind of wears on you. And especially if you're really trying to make something that lingers with people, you got to kind of put yourself there and figure out what does that? Why, how do I make people really be introspective and terrified of this thing? I need to put myself there. So for you, by the end of development, were you kind of just exhausted in yeah. a normal game? Yeah, I think so in one way. I mean, I have both the benefit and the uh, 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 sad <laughs> habit of... <laughs> getting incredibly emotionally invested in the things that I write and make. So when I write a comic, you know, I sort of like play every character and I have to get into all their head. And the thing about home is that because it's a short game, obviously, but it's meant to be uh, understandable from several different perspectives and, and potential outcomes. And, you know, in my mind, there are, there are multiple endings and there are also two layers of choices or multiple layers of choices and sort of how you deal with things towards the end. So it's not traditional like most games are. It's not like an A, B or C kind of ending um but in my mind there are five complete ways you interpret what happened in that game and i have to write it so that if you looked at it from any one of those five perspectives like who did what what happened was how the timeline worked they would all make sense so that was a lot of just your mental juggling just to keep that stuff in check and making sure that i you know fulfilled all those things throughout the throughout the development the writing and whatnot but then you're, you know, you're also just kind of like delving into the psyche of these different people and imagining these terrible things that people are doing to each other and motivations and, and all that kind of stuff. And again, I'm the kind of person whose imagination is just way too, uh, way too aggressive about these things. And I kind of do that anyway. But it, you do realize at some point you're just sitting there thinking about all these horrible things, having these conversations with people about trying to figure out uh like what terrible thing it's some human did to another <laughs> that makes the most sense and gives you the most impact and at some point you just sort of feel like a lunatic uh and you just kind of feel like maybe you just need to watch like a really crappy funny movie just to just to get away with it so it can be it can be very emotional and i and i also you know i draw things from my own experience and i grew up in a small town where it's just the most messed up things happen uh and there are even things that i was going to put in the game that i just decided not to because i thought it was sort of sort of too real and a bit too close to home, uh, pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> but you have to go through that whole gamut and figure out what will, what will, what people will react to, you know, what will they, 
be able to uh, relate to and understand and feel like the terrible thing that you're feeling. So it's almost like you're just passing on a cold to somebody. Like, I, I want you to feel as crappy as I do right now, uh, but you have to go through the uh, the procedure first yourself. Just hearing people talk about it gets me like, man, I don't know if I could ever do that. Like, I don't know if I could because I, I, I yeah. get very wrapped with my own writing too. But like, if my own writing is this dark stuff, I think I might like, like you said, need to like take a break from it and go watch like. My Little Pony directly after, just to kind of have that neutral palate cleanser. Um, <laughs> you did get your games on PlayStation 4 and Vita. What was that process like? Like, how did that relationship start? Sony actually came to Toronto uh, many years ago to just check out some of the events that were going on. We had a whole bunch of events going on, especially that year, including one called um, uh, Gamer Camp. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I almost yeah. forgot what it was. Yeah. So we had that running for several years and it was, you know, showcase of indie games, people giving talks, all that kind of stuff. And a couple of reps came by just to check things out. They had relationships with other developers here because uh, of games like Sound Shapes and whatnot. Um, so they just wanted to see what was going on and they were sort of scoping us out uh, to see if there's anything interesting uh, going on. And I talked to them originally about Home, uh, about it getting onto a PlayStation platform. And this is actually just before the PS4 came out. And over time, what happened was the middleware that I used to make my games, which is Game Maker Studio, uh, they eventually got support for those platforms. They had those connections. They were able to make, you know, exports to, to PS4, Vita, all that kind of stuff. So the timing just ended up working out that I was suddenly able to make a port of my games to PlayStation platforms by myself. You know, I didn't have to go through a port house or, or pay another studio to help me with it. So, once that happened, I sort of went back to Sony and said, okay, I'm ready to do this if you guys are. And um, and they were all on board and super supportive. So at that point, we just knocked it out, just got the game out, ready, tested, done. And we're very happy with how that went. Uh, I don't usually like to dig too much into sales data, but was that like a big boost for you actually getting on those platforms and you know being just available to a much wider audience? Yeah, it was. It's so interesting because having released, especially home on uh, Steam, iOS, uh, and PlayStation, seeing the different audiences is, is really neat. Uh, and I can say, without a doubt, Sony doesn't pay me to say this, but the PlayStation audience so far for both my games has been the nicest group of people I've ever dealt with, mm-hmm. including when something goes horribly wrong and there's a tech support issue that someone needs to contact me about. Uh, I certainly wasn't expecting that, especially considering some of the other platforms. Um, and so the thing that it did for me the most was add a bit of legitimacy to what I was doing. Uh, and sometimes that's certainly just perceived depending on who's, who's thinking about it. But, you know, it was a lot either, easier to get some press's attention afterwards knowing that you had a game um, that was on PlayStation as well, uh, at least at the time. And it's pretty neat because working on console and mobile and on, you know, PC and Mac with Steam and whatnot is so very different uh, in terms of, so many things that go on behind the scenes, but uh, also just in terms of the process and how it feels to launch something. And the one thing about launching on console, and I say this entirely as a biased person who just likes playing games on console um, as a preference, it always feels like a bit more of an event. So for me, it's always just more exciting because to me, that's what I wanted to do as a kid when I was designing video game manuals, you know, um, on the kitchen table was make games for the system under my TV. When you released Alone With You, was that for you, like, so it's after home, after you've had this critical success, 
Was that like a different thing? Did it feel like you were having to live up to certain expectations based off of what your last game did? Uh, and also, that was you know, it's described, self-described as a sci-fi romance adventure, which might be as different from a horror game as possible. So what was that kind of process like? Sure. Well, absolutely. Again, going back to my uh, music analogies, you know, I'd release an EP. I got a fan base. Some people paid attention, but now I was releasing my very first follow-up. And your sophomore album is always the most terrifying. So this was really stressful the whole way through, just thinking, you know, what are people going to think? I'm making a slightly different game. You know, it follows the same tenets and uses all the things I learned from home, but, you know, it's not sort of a, a brown and red scary game um it's much more purple you know weird sci-fi thing <laughs> uh is anyone going to care because it isn't horror do people just follow you know the first game because of the genre all that kind of stuff so all of those questions absolutely followed me throughout development and i think in some ways they still do now because um like people's opinions of things are always different and it's depending on the time you know, like what year it is what time it is what's going on around the launch of your game and when you make a game like what are people interested in everything changes so quickly that somebody could be absolutely in love with something one month and, and not really care about it the next and vice versa so it's the game market is so fickle and so unpredictable in some ways that uh to have those doubts at the beginning of the project only ever makes things worse because you're going to be in a completely different world by the time the project is finished so all, all your best laid plans may, may be for nothing. The thing that I noticed when people would uh, comment on Along With You who liked it a lot, uh, which is pretty much anyone who's played it as far as I know, uh, is that they would see the things that they liked in home in terms of the narrative engagement, some of these other things, but they weren't expected to be taken to some of these other places in terms of emotion or, or some of the story elements. Um, but me being me, it's really hard not to make a story that doesn't end up being really dark and sad and weird. Uh, <laughs> so... At some point during the development, I thought this is probably going to be a bit more of a sweet, happy game. And then I just realized we were just making pixel art for dead bodies, you know, for weeks. And I'm just going, wait, what happened? I thought, <laughs> I thought I was doing a romance game. Why are there so many dead people? And uh, it just turns out that there's something there's something I just can't get away from about walking into a room and finding a bunch of dead things and trying to figure out what happened to them. <laughs> I mean, now that it's out, uh, like... Do you feel like you've hit your stride? Do you look back at that game and be like, all right, I'm finally really getting in a groove knowing what I'm doing? Like, do you look back at Alone With You as your quote-unquote best game? Do you still see home that way? Like, how do you look at your own catalog? Oh, man, that's a good question. Super tough. It's weird because uh, the things I liked the most about home were it's sort of like precision and design and execution. It was exactly as intended. Alone With You required a bit more exploration. It was almost like my double album where... uh, I felt like I needed to explore a few different avenues and maybe some of the places where those different pieces came from weren't all at there at the beginning. So it was a, it was a, uh, a longer, more complicated process to make all these things work together into the vision that, you know, I sort of magically had at the beginning and to sort of fulfill that idea that I sort of wrote down and said, okay, I think this is the thing I want to make. So I, I think I prefer what happened with home in terms of the process, because that sort of neat, clean, um, design brief uh, style is something I'm more familiar with and something I'm always more comfortable with. But what working with Alone With You really forced me to up my game in many regards, both technically and creatively. Uh, and of course, the results are just different because it's a different kind of game. But, um, you know, the things that I did in the game were things I couldn't do with home. I just didn't know how to. Things didn't make sense. And I think there's a lot of little tricks and other stuff that 
for me were much more satisfying to do with Alone With You because it was a bigger challenge. But I'm one of those people who finishes a project, immediately sees everything they don't like with it, you know, <laughs> makes a big list, uh, kind of hopes that nobody notices, uh, and then immediately starts thinking about, okay, what am I going to do next to make make up for this? What am I going to do that's going to be the, the next really good thing? Um, and hopefully people will forget any flaws that they saw in the previous project and, and we'll start getting all excited about the stuff I'm doing in the new one. It was the same with Home. It was the same with Snow. It's been the same with Alone With You. So I'm just constantly the person who just wants to push forward and thinks everything they've just done right now is like, yeah, I'm happy with that. But uh, I feel like I've got a whole lot more to offer and I almost don't want to talk about it. When, I mean, when people do see these flaws, like, is that difficult for you? You, you put a lot of yourself in these games. A lot of this stuff, you get emotionally invested in these stories. Uh, how do you, how do you use game reviews? Like, how do you look at them? Because a lot of people, I think there's some developers who will say like, oh, they don't, you know, they don't really matter. But of course they do to a certain extent to them. Like, this is this thing they've invested a lot of their time, sometimes a lot of their money, a lot of their, just kind of mental state into this thing and when you read reviews how do you take them and when you make the next game do you look back at those to kind of see like oh i I didn't think about it that way yeah it's i always feel like if you're a game designer and you kind of don't know what people are going to think of your game when it comes out you probably weren't paying attention enough like Mm. you should you should have some enough self-awareness to understand either a it's like, I know some people aren't going to like this one thing I put in, but I feel like that was the right thing to do. Or B, we know that we didn't get to put in this, you know, one feature and people are going to bring that up, but there's nothing we could do about it. It's just, it didn't make sense for the time or the budget or whatnot. And that's okay. You know, we, we came to grips with it. So reviews are almost like a weird delayed reaction to a bunch of stuff that you probably already know or have thought about or had to make decisions on, you know, months, years before. So to have a review point out something in a game that says, well, you know, we sort of wish that we had this one option to do X. Uh, like I had one review with along with you that said that, which is sort of funny because I read that and say, okay, well, we had that conversation. Like we knew exactly the thing you were talking about. We went through a whole process. We decided not to do it. There are many reasons why. Uh, you might think it's a good idea, but, you know, it's like we can produce an internal test report that says it wasn't because we sort of went through that whole process. So some of those things can be both sort of entertaining and frustrating at the same time. And reviews are interesting because Games Press is just like the, the media itself can be very, very fickle depending on literally the time, like the day or the week. So as much as I always want to get good reviews from everybody, you kind of have some expectations about what some outlets are going to think depending on how they've looked at your games before, what they've said about similar games, things that they report on, all that kind of stuff. Most part, it ends up being fairly accurate. I had some good some good and some bad surprises with Alone With You that were interesting in terms of some outlets not liking it as much as I thought they were, um, and someone that I thought were going to sort of just breeze by it, just loving it like much to a much higher degree than I ever expected. So in the end, it always ends up kind of balancing out. And, you know, I'm like every other developer, I'll say one day that reviews don't matter and the next day I'll be checking Metacritic to see what's going on. It's just, we all do the same thing. Uh, And so to that extent, you can confirm a lot of things that you probably thought. Like I would say, I can tell that an outlet is probably going to give me X out of 10 because they tend to like games that do this. I maybe don't do that to the extent that they like. 
but I think they might like this other angle, and that's probably going to get me somewhere around here. I mean, most developers who are really invested in this stuff tend to have those awkward conversations with yourself. And internally, we did that too. And so we sort of knew a bunch of that stuff coming forward. However, the thing that's always surprised and is honestly the most satisfying thing, whether it's negative or positive, um, is the stuff that players put out, especially on you know, like Twitter and stuff, because they're uh, a lot less guarded about what they're going to say, whether they like it or not. And um, some of the things that come out surprise me in how accurate they are uh, in regards to the ideas I wanted to get across in terms of the exact feelings and things and uh, concepts that people were coming away with, seeing that people are quote-unquote getting it is always really satisfying. Because again, not everyone is going to. Your game's not going to appeal to everybody. You're not going to do the best job for every single person out there. Um, but you always do the best you can. And when you have some people just say that they hit these certain notes you know, that you don't technically give them, that's just meant for them to sort of get through how the whole game, the, the machination works, that they're getting those points, that they're understanding these concepts, that they're walking away with those moments that's what makes it all worthwhile. Was there ever something that during development you thought would be a major issue, something about your game, an aspect of it, a story beat, a gameplay thing that you're like, man, they're really going to get me for this in reviews. And the majority of reviews or maybe even all of them didn't even notice and you were shocked. Cause I think it definitely happens the other way where you see like, okay, I know they're going to point this out. This was a design decision, but we felt it was right or it had to be done because of this restraint or that restraint. And then they point it out. But was there ever a time where just like, I can't believe they didn't mention this. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, there were certain things like, uh, not having a map because I sort of designed the game to not have one, like hopefully that it worked, uh, mm -hmm. and certain things with inventory, um, and the structure of the game, I guess I was worried that people weren't going to dig, but most people did like, didn't notice it. I had people who thought certain parts of the game they thought were repetitive because of the structure, but then on in literally in the next sentence in a review, they would talk about how the structure of the game helped them do, you know, X, Y, and Z better because it made sense in terms of motion or whatever. So they would prove my point sort of on one hand, uh, even if they weren't really sure about it in the other. But there were a bunch of other things in terms of... Um, uh, I thought I was going to get a bunch of reviewers like just slamming the art again, which mm. is what happened with some cases with Home because some people just don't like pixel art, which is totally fine. It's It's just one of those... It's a different, you know, way to approach things. Uh, and I thought I was going to get a wider variety of people talk about how they didn't like the art because of the resolution, the style, or whatnot. But that, did, that wasn't the case for anything. I don't think anybody even mentioned it. They just said they liked it or really liked it or whatnot. I didn't have anyone really go into into terms of this. So for all the effort that we put into the art, which I guess obviously paid off, you know, it was always a case of, oh, are they not going to like realize that this object is this thing? Are they not going to see this little Easter egg? Are they not going to um, note, or are they going to notice that these things are being reused a little bit because it just made sense in production and it, we just liked the way it looked? Stuff like that, absolutely we were worried about. And nobody mentioned any of that stuff. Nobody ever noticed that, you know, you'll see a tube in one level that's reused in another level because it makes sense narratively, but also it's just easier to produce that way. So that was sort of Great. We kind of felt like all those Skype calls and art discussions were <laughs> were all for the right reasons. So, uh, and, and it is cool to see when the audience really, you know, quote unquote, gets it with your game. When you're on Twitter, maybe, which is a brave thing to do after you release a game, just to see all these people saying these things like, oh man, like that person got it the way that we intended, or they're playing this how I really hoped they would play this. Uh, did you ever get the opposite reaction from a reviewer where you saw like, 
a low score and you had that like gut reaction of like, I really don't think they got it. I, I think they were looking at this in a way that this game isn't. Like, have you ever wanted to kind of react to that, to respond to that, or are you pretty even killed? I, I mean, it, of course, initially, you certainly do. My wife kind of keeps me in check. She just <laughs> lets me sort of flail about and get angry or confused or, or conflicted. And then she just lets me calm down and then explains it calmly why, you know, we're not going to say anything and that's totally fine. Uh, and, and I'll be honest, in, in most cases where some of the big outlets did give me a much lower score than I was expecting, um, it was similar with Home where the way they approached the game was not at all... I guess the mindset you kind of had to be in, which I don't mean to say that as a cop out, but you know, I had some people talk about how they were just trying to rush through things, how they sort of quit early, um, how they were trying to play through in large chunks, but they didn't sort of play maybe even day by day, which the game is sort of designed to support. It was kind of obvious that they were rushing through and maybe just trying to get something done for review, and it just wasn't, it just wasn't hitting them that day, you know, mm. and 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 our score suffered as a result. And in those cases, I just wanted to say. You know, if it feels like it's too much to play once, it's kind of a game that's meant to be played, uh, you know, a little bit every day. Like it's designed so that if you feel like you want to do it that way, you can. So if you, it's, and it's, you know, like Home is a short game, so most people could review it quite quickly. Uh, but with Alone with You, it's like on average six hours or something like that. Some people have put in way more time in a single play session, but it's a more difficult game to just speed run through if you're trying to get something done for a deadline. So, Based on those comments, I could tell that people didn't give themselves enough time to sort of like sit there and think about things. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just rushing and they wanted, they wanted more obvious, um, like, or obvious and more immediate feedback and results. Whereas the point of these games is certainly to give you a bit of room to think, to make your own observations, to notice things from, you know, mission to mission, start pe- putting a few pieces together, getting those clues and those those bits that you get to put t- things together in your own brain. And you always need a little bit of space to do that. It's not it's not something you can just sort of like marathon run um, and not miss anything. So in that regard, I thought, oh, it's, it's too bad that they did that because they obviously didn't sort of uh, give the game the time I it, it probably needed for, for them to sort of warm up to it. Yeah, and it is extremely strange because deadlines do impact how you play a game, especially if it's a longer game. Uh, and just a lot of the situational stuff around you will impact how you play a game, how you look at a game, how you review a game. Uh, I mean, VR is a crazy thing to see reviews for because some people respond to it in one way, other people respond to it another way. Some people like get you know motion sickness with VR, some don't. Like, you're, you're, there's so many other variables coming in, and uh, of course, you know, I, I'm one of those people who like totally like respect all reviewers and super value reviews as someone who's written reviews for a long time and understand like that is this person's you know experience with this game and you know no matter what was going around otherwise in their life uh but it, I, I could imagine seeing like a four out of ten on your metacritic and you could read from the review the person was not playing it as you'd hope and you're like man like yeah oh man that really affects the overall opinion of this thing and maybe sure. if you would have taken it from a different angle it'd be entirely different yeah, and it's it's pretty interesting because we you know we look at this stuff and every developer does this even if they say they don't. Uh, but you know you sort of sort of make little educated guesses as to the patterns that are emerging regarding that. And you know we notice that certain folks who review the game lower than others were tended to be a little younger actually. Um, I don't like I don't know if they had anything to do with attention spans or things like that. But mm-hmm. The things that they would point out in regards to the feedback that they were looking for uh, were definitely for folks who had played certain kinds of games that were slight, like the way they were handled were different. 
So, however, the people who are the most effusive and even some outlets that I was just surprised how much they like things. Um, I could tell that those reviewers were older because they, the, the references, the reference points for things were a little older about, the, mm. uh, and they weren't, you know, like I'm 37, so I'm not young. Uh, so I'm not writing a game that's meant for teenagers necessarily, but hopefully it'll be, you know, applicable to people of, of more ages. But the people who were a little bit older, who had more relationship experience, who maybe had been married or divorced or had all these other sort of complications happen in their life, found a lot of those wrinkles and a lot of those things that the game sort of presents more interesting. The people who are younger, most, most likely dating or not really, uh, connected to anyone just yet. We're more looking at things in terms of like, where do I press the button to get like the love meter? Um, <laughs> and that was just one thing we, we, we tended to notice with, with some of the reviews. And it was really interesting because it sort of makes you think, okay, well, who are these games for? How, you know, am I making games that people are still going to be able to dig? Do you have to be 40 to play my games? Like maybe that's, I don't know. Is that smart? Is that not smart? That I, I, That's an interesting way to look at reviews. I think it's a valid way to look at reviews to kind of get like, you know, who's this speaking to? Why is it like, do you need to actually change the thing moving forward? Or is that just an audience that is just going to have trouble to connecting, connecting with your games no matter what? So I think that's like a really unique way of looking at it. Uh, is there anything you can talk about in terms of what you're working on next? Like, is there anything you could say about like, this is the next project? Are you kind of in the concept phase or just in the, I released a game recently and now I'm napping a lot phase? Where are you at right now? Oh man, I wish I was napping. I haven't had <laughs> so little sleep as this year. Uh, I can't talk about the next project because there's definitely some other things to be done. All I can say is that we're not quite done with Alone With You just yet. So uh, there'll be some other things coming out soon enough um, that I can talk about. But as for the next project, I have I have some sort of specifics about things I want to hit, you know, ideas that I have or, or you know, those little moments you want to explore and you think, okay, let's run through this and see if this could actually turn into a game that would be fun and people would actually want to play. But for the first time in a long time, I actually don't have that next project right there next to me. I feel like I need to do a bit more digging. Yeah. So that's terrifying, but also kind of exciting because it kind of means you can, you can do anything and take a little bit of time. But uh, normally I have like a queue of five things and I just sort of jam on the one that interests me the most and we go from there. But right now I feel like I have to do some hard thinking about what makes the most sense and what, what is the most interesting thing you could do? Any interest in VR? Yes. All right. Perfect answer. Uh, so Ben, what's the best place for people to find you? Like on I'm social on, media or otherwise? Yeah, honestly, uh, you can hit me up on Twitter, uh, at Benjamin rivers. You can sort of find me uh, at that moniker pretty much anywhere. Just look for the blue background in the, in the face of the yellow hair. Uh, <laughs> and you can also just go to BenjaminRivers.com if you want to actually get links to all the game sites and store pages and all that kind of stuff. All right, great. Well, it's been a while since I've uh, had a developer on the show. So it was, it was great to talk to you, Ben. Like it's, horror stuff is always interesting to talk about and uh overall it's it's been cool seeing your success uh over the last few games and even though you are not fully decided on what you're doing next i'm interested to at least see where you end up with that awesome thanks so much all right thank you and uh thanks everyone for listening hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099 